we did this interview about a week or so ago with the lovely Fallon Stokes. Um, I thought that it was, she was really fascinating. And what I found the most fascinating was how much she had her shit together. But she, Fallon come, <laughs> Fallon come from like one of those families. Like, that's why I was like, I know your parents still. You know, you could tell, like, she comes from like one of those solid foundations. And I think her, one of her parents is an attorney, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. You know, or like, you know, you could tell, you know, I come from like broken home, rough around the edges. So it's easy yeah. to spot when yeah. somebody comes from. There, um, there are generational curses. But I think at the end of the day, that's why, that's what I most respected about her. Like when we was in high school, it's because like we both from the South Side. But like I say, I'm coming from a single family home. We ain't got no car. And I remember like filing, um, having like a nice car. You know, you turn 10th, 10th grade, 11th grade, you get in the car. Shit, my dad's let me borrow a car. And it would be easy to look on the outside because we get caught up in seeing what people have. And so you like, oh, she privileged or she's just a spoiled brat. But then when it came to basketball, like, she worked. And so I always had a respect for her for that because I knew so many people who had things just given to them, and they were like, oh, woe is me. Yeah, so Fallon was, like, the first uh, interview that we did with our – Shit, somewhat together. Yeah, I know, right? She <laughs> we had up. them first few episodes where we were we were getting the technical side worked oh, out, man. and that shit is nickel and diamond, and it ain't nearly as easy as they make it look on well, the TV. Well, you know, when you buy your first building for your first business, the landlord <laughs> don't tell you about the leak behind <laughs> yeah. the bathroom wall. You know, come to find out, we had leaks in places we didn't even have water in the house. So. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I'm out here jeffing. That's what we call just uh, like 80s handyman. It like that we've named it after my dad. Where we're, man, we're, I'm out here jeffing where we're just trying to figure it out and get the job done so we can get paid. Yeah. So I was, I've been out here jeffing trying to figure out this podcast technology because I am not a smart person. But let's joke about We got smart people around us and we'll make this shit better. That, happen. So that makes you a smart person. So. so here's the thing you might not be scared, everybody can't do everything. I hate when, like, if if somebody goes, oh, you can't change a tire? Some men can't. I can't. But some men can't. Yeah. But that same guy that can't change a tire probably can dissect some numbers in seconds or do something else that your ass can't do. So, yeah. So don't be so hard on yourself, man. We made it work. Yeah, we, put, but, we, we put it together. And we... we I hope everyone enjoys the interview and the story with Fallon because she is a just a just seems like just such a great person. Um, yeah, and, always been yeah so. and she's got goals and dreams and aspirations. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, y'all enjoy the podcast with with Fallon Stokes. She is a true badass. River, Riverwood, uh, Georgia Tech basketball royalty. <laughs> so y'all enjoy. Welcome. Oh, welcome. welcome.
welcome. Yes. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We wanted to bring you. When I started this, so this the trophy case is where we pretty much try to give some of our favorite athletes. They flowers, you know. Oh, I like it. Talk a little junk, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Have a little fun. But you was one of the first people I thought about. Okay. And the reason being, like, y'all don't understand this is basketball royalty in the 90s and in like, Atlanta, Georgia. When he says first people, like, you were in the top <laughs> yeah. five, like, but um now i was just kind of giving him some backstory you mm-hmm. know how we knew each other we've been knowing each other for a long time and i was telling them i used to pick you over some of the boys like <laughs> yeah yeah when we had you would have gotten picked yes we had you remember the intramural team we had yep yeah. We had so we had like a co-ed team. It was me. It was filing, and we had Mike Chickarelli, one of my <laughs> <laughs> white dudes. We used to wear I knew these it. Bad I knew it. Yeah. We was tearing ass up. Yeah. Dan, if you ever remember this, if you see this, remember that three pointer that finally hit in your face to win the game. <laughs> yeah, we still we still bragging about that championship. So, but no, wh- so well, where were y'all well, at though at that time? Uh at Riverwood. We went to Riverwood. Riverwood? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think did they let. I'm sure you were in the Riverwood Hall of Fame sports. Yeah, I'm in there. You better be. I was be. in the uh, okay. first class. They told um, me I ain't A few ain't years enough. ago. I'm trying to think when that was, because I think I was just getting out of law school. I want to say that was 2013, 14. They had the first class for oh, the Hall so of Fame. You was in the first. Oh, yeah. see, I'm going to be like um, Pete Rose. I'm probably going to be dead and gone before they be like, you know what? He kind of made it as a comedian. Let him in. Let him in. But they sent me the invite and was uh-huh. like, Coach Seals was like, fill out all your stuff. And I'm just like, it ain't nothing, bro. It's just a couple state championships. You never know, man. Shoot the wood. It's not many that had put up numbers. You did with track, basketball, you all over the place. So let me ask you a question. Um, I knew what it was like for me. Mm-hmm. I personally, I'm going to go to my grave saying I played for the worst high school basketball coach <laughs> Ever. How do you make a group of teenagers hate a sport? Yeah. So, but the question I, I want to ask seasons. you, Hudson. Uh-huh. Coach Hudson, Lee Hudson. I remember her as she was a real cool lady, but what was she like to play for? Um, Coach Hudson was cool. You know, I think it was old school and just the fact that um, learning and trying to understand your players and being a mother. Like, I say mm. having female coaches, they always have that motherly side where they want to be connected with the players. But, you know, we're teenagers. We don't want a second mom. Right. You know, we, already, we may already have one that's telling us what to do anyway. So it's about the coaching. But when I started at Riverwood, her brother, um, Coach Malloy, he was the assistant. So I would say with the X's and O's, he was incredible. He knew talent. And he knew how to develop it. And she was just a good balance of balancing the team. I thought they worked well together. And then he left. I think he got a coaching position somewhere. So then she was pretty much doing it on her, on her own. But she figured it out. You know, I think it was just a mindset that she knew she had a talented player in me. And we had other pieces. You know, it was talent. We had shooters. Absolutely. We had Antonia Newman. You know, she was my Man. sophomore year. We had a true center who could hoop and was mobile. Um, then Antonia left. And then it was me, my junior and senior year, along with shooters or just a couple of athletes. But the pieces seemed to work because my junior year, we made it to the Sweet 16. So you just well, don't know, you know I what went could happen. Far. But um, I think it was the redistricting, too, for the region that helped us. 
because we used to play a lot of those North Fulton County schools. Oh, that hurt us. Then we moved to the <laughs> South Side. We had Riverwood, 99, I mean, Westlake. <laughs> well, you know, we used to compete with Westlake. North Atlanta, they were the top two teams in our region at the time. But then we were playing Washington, Creekside, shoes, Southside, when they used to be Southside. You think about it. So I think it put us in a better position where we could finish top two or three mm. each year in the region and make it to the state. Because if we stayed in the North playing against South St. Pius, Holy Innocence, some of my teammates be intimidated Pius. by them. I, I, I was a wrestler, and they just were the, just the biggest douchebags. Yeah, <laughs> just, Jim and Mary's. They thought that they were like Dale Earnhardt or something. Like, just they're so. In, it's like you just got black clothes on. You're just <laughs> you're not that fucking cool. <laughs> I mean, no, they were. But I, I, a lot of my teammates used to be intimidated because I think they play AAU with a lot of those some girls. Of girls. And they were good, and they were fundamentally sound, so they knew how to play. Yeah. And when you think about that, that made it complicated. But when we came to the South Side, I was like, this is perfect. We're going to start winning games. And right. I think it, it put us on the map a little bit. So before we get like into uh, like some games and stuff that happened to you, who did you mo- – did you have anybody that like you modeled your game after or that you looked up to? Or Shoot, a lot. I mean, I love Jordan, but, you know, that was probably the scoring mentality. I just wanted to score. But they used to call me Baby Barkley, too. That's why I wore 34 You in know high school. Who I was trying to think of who from that – who your game reminded me of. I could see Barkley, but I'm going to say Big Dog, like Glenn Robinson. Ooh, that's Cause, cool. Because you was like – Smooth around the baskets, you can handle the ball good enough. You can shoot like it was just like, how do you stop this girl? You know what I mean? And so I would have said, but I can see Charles. Yeah, I can see Charles. but I think for the rebounding because I was undersized and I used to play a lot of four, so I would I would clean up on the boards and then just go coast to coast get a layup. And Charles Barkley was six four, you know, dominating in the paint. So. It took me a minute to develop a better outside shot that was kind of consistent, and I think I started to get that like my junior year, senior, but it was straight going to the rack on folks. <laughs> yeah, because like we played so back then we you know we played in the ice age, and so now it's like the class go all the way up to like eight, I think, yeah. or something. I was like, what? It was just it's crazy. triple A quad A when we played, and so yeah, we played yeah. at a triple A school. So a lot of times we didn't really run into the teams with the six ten guys and the, yeah. you know, so that was yeah. to our benefit. So um so high school's wrapping up. You say y'all made it to the Sweet 16, so that was your junior year. Mm-hmm. So senior year, kind of walk us through that. Shoot, senior year, we didn't go as far as I wish we had. I think we lost in the first round, um, but competed. You know, I, I used to say, like, those games against, like, Westlake and North Atlanta, those were my favorites, especially Westlake, because that was the neighborhood I grew up in. Right, right. And I was supposed to go to Westlake. So when you think about it, I was in the M2M program. My mom was like, nah, you going to Riverwood. You know, we talking about academics here and, you know, basketball, where it can take you. But ultimately, you got to get an education. So that was always firsthand. Not to say Westlake wasn't a good – it's a great school academically. But at the time, that's what my parents just really thought was best. Um, but hooping it, coming to play against Westlake, we have to go play them down there. I used to love it because it was all my childhood friends from the neighborhood that would actually come early to the games to see me play. And then I would love watching the Wesley boys play because they were dominant back then. They were dominant. Don't they had remind some really me. great teams. They went, what, 33, 32-0? Jokers didn't lose a game season. in 99. But senior season, disappointed in the sense that we didn't go further than right. I was expecting. We could have a chance to go to the Sweet 16. We had lost a key player. 
but we still had some good pieces. Um, Were you like the the leader of that team? You yeah, yes. Yeah, so it was it was on me. What was your what was your leadership style like? How was that, especially at a young age? How did you? I think by just playing, showing showing what I could do by example. You yeah. know, putting it out on the court. I mean, I was verbal. I knew what to tell certain players if I thought they were getting down on themselves or weren't having a good game. I wasn't a yeller. I'm not gonna come at you all wrong like that. It was just like, yeah. come on, we gotta go in this game. You got to start shooting. I'm going to be looking for you. Be ready. You know, stuff that type of mentality. Because a lot of the girls I play with, you know, that yelling and screaming, which we already got from Coach Hudson, you know, <laughs> it work all the time. You know, it's, and I wasn't the type of player that always responded to that myself, even though I've had coaches that definitely yelled and screamed. But it's all about how you can relate to a player. But definitely. We didn't go as far, but, you know, it was a cool season. What happened in that game? Should we play Clarkston? And it was actually a girl that I played. Hello one of my to eight. some Muslims. We, Y'all got <laughs> beat. <Clarkston> High School. <laughs> some gas station operating. Their parents was up there. Yeah. I'm just messing around. <laughs> I remember the game. I think it was at Stone Mountain High School. And we played them. And they had a girl by the name of Sherry. I forgot Sherry's last name. But she played on one of my AU squads. And she was a lefty um, kid who, I think she ended up going to Stony Brook for college. But she was just shifty, you know what I'm saying? Left-handed. If you don't know how to play lefties, you oh, get yeah. scored on Half all on. day. And that's how she was just roasting us. And then her teammates just started to step up. She had a couple athletes. And I think we, shoot, didn't expect it or just didn't expect that dominance. And they came out and just jumped on us. I forgot the final score, but we lost convincingly. It wasn't that close. Um, but that was just a downer. You know, it wasn't the expectations. I was going through, like, we're going to beat Clarkson. We're going to go to the next round. We're going to see getting past the Sweet 16, maybe get to the Elite Eight. Mm. And um, But isn't that a good lesson for life, though? It that is. Even, even if you're prepared yep. and you think you got everything ready. <laughs> Here it comes. Somebody comes out of the corner and just it happens all takes the time. you out. Right. And you just Always go, a steam. Yeah. <laughs> That's life sometimes. You can, you can never expect, right, the unexpected, but... You can always prepare and how you deal with it. I think that's the biggest thing. You can come out of anything like that. So um, you were, because my basketball career, I, I was looking at the options, right? I was getting like one basketball letter from like a school that probably had 40 students. And then I was getting track offers. So I was like, you know what? Ah, look like the free ride is over here. So bring us in you. The season's over. I, you had to have been a five-star recruit. Mm-hmm. You had to be I mean, I was tired. I don't even know we had categories like that I for don't girls remember back those. then. That I don't came, remember. I know you used to have it for the boys and our rivals. I mean, I was ranked, but I just can't tell you can't honestly remember. what it was. But no, I was highly recruited. So who? What? Give us some of the schools that you were. Um, my top five were uh, Duke, Clemson, Duke, Tulane, okay, Furman, and Tech, and so North Carolina was in the mix a little bit during that time. You know, like the biggest thing, I remember I got a letter from Tennessee, I think my sophomore year from Pat Summit. Oh, that had to be huge. Yeah, you you, you know, you like, oh, I'm getting a letter from, <laughs> from Pat God. Summit. That's you know God. what I'm saying? Basketball. Women's and basketball. once you yeah. see that Tennessee letter, you're like, oh, you man, they look at me. You know you what I'm saying? <laughs> but as you get older or progress, and, you know, I, it wasn't, they weren't highly recruiting me, but just the opportunity to say they were looking and I was on their radar was just awesome. But you get an understanding of who you need to take more seriously and when you're trying to evaluate a school where you can come in and play. Like, I didn't want to go anywhere important? I was going to sit. Yeah. So when you talk about your high school coach, Coach Segroso, his dad used to always be at the games. and You know he went to Duke. So Coach Segroso got Duke on my radar mm. because he was a Duke alum. 
and Duke's women's team, they were starting to progress. I think they made it to the national championship game in 99 and was starting to get some talent. And then the year I was coming in, they were getting a lot of talent. Elena Beard, Isis Tillis. I mean, the list Beard. goes on and on. So then when I saw what they were recruiting, and Elena Beard was really on their radar because she really wanted to go to Tennessee, but they overlooked her. So mm. she was playing with a chip on her on her shoulder. Where's she from? Oh, where's Elena from? I want to say she might be from the D.C. area, but don't quote me on that. Okay. But Elena was, um, she was dominant. She was like one of the best players I've ever seen play women's basketball, basketball period, especially in college. Um, but when I saw what they were recruiting, I was like, mm, it's going to take me a minute to play. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. I ain't trying to do that. You know what I'm saying? It's good to learn, but I, I want to go where I can make a name for myself. Immediately. And then um, Tulane. Was the school, Clemson was another school I was really serious about. It was close to home. I was like, my parents could drive to games, you right. know, home games and see me. Um, and they had some talent. It was a girl, Chrissy Floyd. I promise you, she had the smoothest, like, mid-range game I've ever seen. Like, she didn't miss. But I knew I would I would have been playing two years behind her because we mm-hmm. played the same position. Um, and then Tulane, I go to New Orleans. It's a blast. I'm loving it. My parents are loving it. They took us on the best. I like, never let my daughter go to school in New Orleans. Right. Well, and New I was, Orleans tricks you because it is fun for a night or two. Right. For three days. Well, yeah, so on that Monday, you're yeah, like, okay. you're like, all right. What's right, time, time to yeah. play? Yeah. But um, I think that was my first time going to New Orleans, you know, when I went on a visit. And, you know, the food, of course, is incredible. Oh, yeah. The atmosphere. And then Tulane at the time, they had a scholarship that was for student athletes for law school. And they have one of the top law schools in the country. Yeah, they do. So they said every year they would give it to two student athletes, a female and a male. Who wanted to go to law school. So that was even, I knew I wanted to go to law school then. Um, even put me in the headspace like, yeah, I need to seriously consider where I did select Tulane. And unfortunately, when I told them I was ready to come, they informed me they gave my scholarship to somebody else. Ooh. And it was a girl from Atlanta. She went to Pope High School. We played the same position. Um, I ain't going to say, you know, who was better. No, of course, I think I was. <laughs> but, you know, it was a lesson like you live and learn. Right. And then... Tech wasn't, they were on my radar, but I wasn't about to choose Tech. That wasn't who I was trying, the school I was trying to go to. Really? And then I had that visit coming up after I just got hit with, I wasn't going to Tulane. So it was really between Clemson and Tech, Furman at that point. And I really went on a visit to Furman because one of my childhood friends went to Furman and tight AAU teammates, Kim Lawrence, who's now the head girls coach at Woodward Academy where they win the state championships. Okay. So she was that would have been my only connection to really go to Furman because she went and we had such a, a great friendship. Um but I'm a city girl. So when I went on my visit to Tech and it was a girl by the name of Nisha Butler, still one of my best friends to these to this day, who was dominant ACC rookie of the year at Tech. Um, was hooping from New York, you know, Stefan Marbury's protege, all this stuff, you know, had oh, it. Wow. And she takes me around the city, and I'm like, man, I didn't even know my city was like that. Ah, <laughs> your old town. Hilarious. <laughs> when they put this hotel over there. Right. So you 17, 18 years old, and you out and about. I'm like, I'm staying in Atlanta. And I told them as soon as they drive me back to my parents' house after the, uh, the visit, and I'm like, I'm coming, coach. You are? Yeah, you ain't even got to talk to me no more. I'm coming. What? Crazy. So... It was perfect, you know. I, I think it was one of the best decisions I could have ever made. And sometimes, you know, just looking back, I was so down on tech because I necessarily I didn't want to be in Atlanta per se, but I wanted to be kind of close to home so I could, if I needed to come home, I could. That was my thing. Um, but it was perfect, you know. In my city, it was enough distance. My parents didn't bother me. Like I was away from them, and then if I wanted to go home, it was just a thirty minute ride. So 
it was perfect. So you you knew before, like when you were making all these decisions, you were like, I I want to be in a in go to law school. Yeah. So you had you were leading your basketball team <laughs> and already had a plan. Right. Was was so you're like way above everybody. Um, I picked did my major first like, week of school. I was like, uh. <laughs> were you wanting to go? Like, did you think about the WNBA? Did you think about the next level, or was it like? I did. Well, you know, because tech, yeah. they were on the up and up, and it was talent. But I think it was just the gist of like coaching and, and making that talent jail, and then injuries happen. You, you were four year starter too, right? Yeah. Well, okay. I would say three and a half. My freshman year, towards the end, I started starting, and then officially, like my sophomore year, went throughout. So I. Not to jump too far because we're going to get to the WNBA stuff. I just kind of wanted to know um, a little bit about, like, the transition from uh, AAA school to, like, big-time D1 basketball. Because I'm sure ain't nobody since you didn't play no big-time <laughs> D1 basketball. I know some football guys and kind of went <laughs> for it. But, yeah. So what was kind of what was that like? You big dog on one team, right. and then six months later, you like, all right, yeah. uh, I hope I don't get hazed. <laughs> I think um, AAU prepared me because, you know, like you play it against, especially with the A. I played for the Celtics here in Atlanta and then the Georgia Metros. One year I played for the Georgia Magic because we were trying to compete on a national level and get all the talent from Georgia, like Christy Thomas. It was a ton of us that year on one team. But um, once you play on that level and I played against the best of the best that I played in, against in the college level, you were like, dang, everybody was good somewhere. So that was the mentality and the adjustment that you just couldn't walk in, have the big head, and think you were going to be dominant because you competing day in day out, either trying to take an upperclassman spot or they trying to make sure you don't you don't get it. So it was just I never besides AAU, I think that was the only thing that could prepare me because high school practices didn't because I was going against girls with talent, you but not to us. my talent. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> and that's what I did, and I, I say that to this day. Like even in college, anytime guys like even on the men's team at Tech. If they were running pickup games, I would go hoop with them. them. Football players who are athletic and could hoop, open gym, I'm going to hoop with them because I'm realizing if I can make this move on a a guy, even though he may not be a great basketball player, but his athleticism is not something I'm going to see on the women's side, and I can do this on a female. So I think that just gave me confidence. But um, the practices, it was an adjustment between workouts and weights. Yeah, That's why I like – you know, when we were at Tech, you played football? Heck no. <laughs> what? what? Well, you remember Coach Edwards? Of course. Okay. So <laughs> My weightlifting coach. Right. But, uh, ain't right. So I remember Coach Edwards at Riverwood, and I, I got to give him his flowers and his shout out. Because when he came to Riverwood, we, we hadn't seen a coach, especially a black figure, besides Coach Seals. I right, love Coach Seals, right. and that was one of the reasons I ran track. Because Coach Seals was awesome. But to see a strong, yeah, we should, we, we want to stay. You remember that we won the five by, four by one. That's right. Yeah, nah, but Coach Seals, um, he was the first. But when Coach Edwards came, because Coach Seals already always respected the fact that he knew I was an athlete, but he knew I didn't, I didn't have aspirations of running track, right? Yeah. So he was excellent in the sense that he knew basketball was my first love, but I wanted to stay in shape and compete, and I liked track. So I would always do track season with him because it was fun and, you know, I was getting in great shape, you know, how the training he would put us through. But he was always accommodating when I had AAU. I'm like, Coach, I'm not going to make a meet and be out of town. All right, yeah, I got you. And he always was Yeah, cool. he was. Now, Coach Edwards prepared me for the next level. And um, 
he was the first to say, you got to go lift weights if you're trying to go play college ball. And I was like, weights? I'm strong enough. I ain't trying to lift no weights. Girls don't lift weights. Yeah, they do. So you need to sign up for my class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I make all the football players do it. And you're going to lift weights with them. And I was like, what? But he prepared me for that next level because when you get to college, it's weights, strength training, it's you got runs, then you got on-court stuff. So it's nonstop plus class. So, you know, with weights, at least I had the bare minimum and the understanding about lifting, so they didn't have to teach me that. But I, I definitely got to give Coach Edwards his flowers because he put me in the mentality to let me know that I was ahead of the game or I was a better athlete than the, the kids I was playing with and I had an opportunity. So right. I needed to take advantage take of serious. it. You know. So let me ask you this real quick. I everybody you played against in college, who cooked your ass? I'm talking about who you was like, you came to the sideline like, bro, I ain't got nothing. I ain't got nothing for him tonight. I'll tell you, it, it, I ain't gonna lie, it's been a few. ACC, you played against some talent. Whether it was Elena Beard, we used to have some battles too. Because I'd be Duke, like a chip right? Duke. Yeah. Isis Tillis. I mean, this girl was 6'4. And then they said, like, her senior year, she had scoliosis or something going on with her back, and she did some work and then stretched out and she was six five when they straightened out the back. You know what I'm saying? And she was a like a three, a wing. So that was like the first you seen. She could shoot three. She could take you off the dribble. And I'm like, I'm five nine, five ten trying to guard this girl. That's not fun. I can stay in front yeah. of her, but she's just gonna shoot over me. It's like playing against Kevin Durant. Yeah. So um but I would say my freshman year playing against Georgia. Georgia recruited me too and they were on my list. But I didn't think I was ready to play for Andy. That was a little too intense for me. Yeah. Um, and I would hear stories. But Andy Landers, he recruited me pretty hard, especially my junior year. Um, he was looking. But the likes of those squads that he had, because us, when they were competing, going to Final Fours, he had Tweety Bird, the Miller Twins, shoot, Keisha Brown. Um, oh, I remember Keisha then Brown. Then he always had towers. So his post players were always 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and athletic and could move. So I remember we played Georgia every year. Had never beaten them until my junior year. That was the first time women's basketball at Georgia Tech had beaten UGA. And um, I remember that first game, I'm just like in awe. Like, yo, these are the girls I've been watching in National Tweety, touching the rim. I'm just, I get in the game, Tweety comes down, and I'm like, oh, she's coming. Oh, shit, I got a garter. She comes with a cross and leaves me in the dust. Because I'm still just mesmerized, like, Yo, I'm playing against Tweety from UGA and then has this spool finger roll layup to the hoop. Coach, like, get out. <laughs> get out. You and were I was starstruck. Like, yeah, I was starstruck. <laughs> and then next thing on the, on the bitch, I'm thinking, like, I wasn't even mad. I was like, I understand because I was not yeah. <laughs> focused or paying attention. And these girls were moving. But um, I would say playing against Georgia my freshman year at Tech, that was it. That was so, your eye opener. Yeah, like, yeah, you got to work. So these this girls get hooped. So yeah. how much did the game speed up from high school mm-hmm. to college? Was it like a massive, like, whoa, like this is a... It was. Or were you just at such a high level already? But if if you're at such a high level and, you know, in high school, the talent is so mm-hmm. spread out, mm-hmm. it's like you're you're almost like you're not challenged all the time. So you, don't, right. you can't really get a good judge of it. So I was wondering how that worked. It took me two years to really, I would say my freshman and sophomore <laughs> year, starting in like mid-sophomore year, I think I started to get it in just the flow of team. But then understanding when to be selfish, when I needed to go and get mine, because they recruited me as a scorer. You know, my freshman year, I'm trying to figure it out. So defensively rebounding, those are the things they emphasize, not so much scoring. You know, special teams, right? Much. Right. <laughs> but then by my sophomore year, they're like, "Yo, we need you to start scoring." And then we had injuries, so figuring it out, the pace of the game. I say the first five minutes, it's a mar- I mean, it's not a marathon; it's a sprint. 
Like, and there's no whistles blown, no timeouts till you get that TV timeout, like at the 15 minute mark. You nonstop. And you'll be like, dang, I'm winded. And you never, I can't even say in AAUs, I necessarily saw that. Hmm. Because it's just that speed. Unless it's a foul call, the game's not stopping until you see it, get that first timeout. And um, sometimes it'll be like 4 2, but you just run it up and down, defend it until somebody can get <laughs> some momentum and start hitting, or unless you're just scoring out the gate. But the pace, it was super fast. And it just let me know about my endurance, too, how much I had to put in extra time to work, to slip down, you know, and that's the emphasis, what you eat, everything. They are always looking at it and trying to get that body fat down to the point, sheesh, I never get back down to that. But I think my body fat, (laughs) at one point, it was down to like 11, 12%. And for women... That's you that's know what I'm saying yeah. that's that's low. That's hard, and that was hard, and and that didn't really come to my junior year where I knew, like I was running miles, and I was I was telling my goddaughter this. She plays soccer, and you know they're like you got to run a mile in seven and a half minutes, and I was like I hated the mile, but I remember my junior, no my senior, year, I ran my best mile time, and I think I had just gotten under like six. So I was like five fifty something, but that's running fast. it. That's what I'm saying. It was sprinting it. Yeah, it was sprinting it, and we used to have to make it in like six thirty as mm-hmm. a, a three or a wing. And I remember we had this point guard; she was from Sweden, oh. Nina Barling. That girl could run all day. You know what I'm saying? I was like, "Girl, if I can get up to you," and she used to be sprinting that mile like she was getting like five twenty five and stuff. And you'd be like, "Damn, leaving Jeez. this in the dust." Yeah. So she had a couple ACL injuries and was out. So they stopped making her running because they were like, we ain't trying to make you tell your ACL. Oh, I was about again, to say right? she had a couple and still yeah. ran a 525. Nah, nah, nah. After that, it was just like, we just want you on the court. But I was like, I'm going to get close to Nina's time. You know what I'm saying? And then I think it was just the mentality of trying to be a leader for the team too. So if mm-hmm. I'm doing it, they see how I'm working. Yeah, they're going to work harder. But yeah, no, nah, it, it was intense. You had to really get your mind right and put in the work to get to that point. It's not easy. You can't just go off talent. Not on that level. You got to be a prospect. WNBA's a calling. Yeah. What's ha- what's going on in your life at this time? Shoot. That year, our oh, senior year, because we, it's just like that junior year is always incredible for me. We made it to the tournament for the first year in, shoot, like 20 years, something like that for tech women. Um, So we make it to the NCAA tournament. We also beat Georgia for the first time ever. This was the same my year? My junior year, yes. Ah, uh, okay. And we beat them 65-61. I remember You remember that. the scope. Yeah, that was, it, we played at Phillips Arena, too, back when it was Phillips, so... That was pretty dope. It was during the Chick-fil-A Bowl. They would um, have the Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A Bowl game, which was an SEC-ACC team, and then they would have a basketball game, which would be an ACC-SEC team. So we would be highlighted in it every year. Um, but that was huge. Um, and then we go into my senior year. I lost my center, shoot again, who ended up going to the league. And she was a tough prospect but really worked her way up, Had was raw talent. Really couldn't even barely dribble a basketball her freshman year at Tech. She was 6'5 and was, you know, nimble and could move. So just her work ethic, I mean, it made it incredibly easier for me my junior year just to play off play off of her and mm-hmm. learn the game, learn her leadership and work ethic. And then we were rolling and lost a tough game in the first round my junior year. Senior year, I lose her. And we had a lot of young talent that came in from my junior year, so they should have been progressing sophomore season or their sophomore season. But we didn't jail well as a team. It was a lot of bickering, you know, between seniors or upperclassmen, lowerclassmen, not really connecting. 
and you're not going to win that way. So how did I that imagine. How did that translate though? Was it bickering on the court or was it off the court like traveling or was it just all of it and or was it just like there's just two assholes <laughs> and you and you just you can't get say the tea. Yeah, you can't say anything because of this mother- <laughs> like what what was that I would um, like to hear cuz you never, you know, you hear all the the radio and the TV stuff and everything's in generalities. You right, never get right. the so what made that experience that challenging? I think because it was a lot of transitioning. <clears throat> the coach that I had, Agnes Baronado, my first three seasons at Tech, and she had been at Tech for like two decades. She leaves us and goes and takes a job at the University of Pittsburgh. So we had an assistant coach that was really running our X's and O's. She was the brains and really developed our talent. Now she was out of control, Michelle Joseph. <laughs> but you said that like, hey, I hope you hear this, Michelle. You was out of control. But it was the mentality you took with it because she was an all-American point guard at Purdue mm. and she challenged the players that she coached. Um sometimes, you know, people may have thought it was um, you know, definitely extreme. But it just put me in the mindset like, shoot, I need to get good. And that type of Yelling and screaming, or just trying to. When a coach stops talking to you, that's when you should be concerned. (laughs) So, as long as she was yelling, whatever it was, sometimes that didn't work for me, but we at least had a mutual respect for each other, like an understanding. So, she had got us to me the promised land of developing our talent and the team, and we made it to the tournament. So, I'm like, we need to keep her as our coach. We don't want a new coach coming in, especially. I had like five teammates that were seniors with me. Mm. And you don't want to see that drastic change if you don't know going into your senior year. So it was that um, familiarity with her that we wanted to keep her around. And it just crumbled because of, I want to say, bickering off the court, on the court. It wasn't one or two people. But I just think it was misunderstanding. And with some of our underclassmen, it was still some immaturity there that when you're a senior and you reach a point – if they're not responding to how you're trying to either coach or, or lead or be a mentor, you just like, I'm done with you. And when I had yeah. teammates who had that mentality, and I was of, I'm still in the mindset, man, you can't give up. And sometimes I'll go too far in, in trying to help somebody and just believing in, you know, the type of, you know, capabilities they may have or potential, but it didn't work for yeah. some of my other teammates. And I had to respect it. And that was that was tough because I went in like preseason All-American, preseason first-team All-ACC. And we were picked to finish, like, I think top four or five, you know, that year. And at that time, so would you, did you become the leader at Georgia Tech? Yeah, I was a team captain, so I was one of them. So you, okay. Mm -hmm. I think we had three, maybe four captains, but I was one of the captains. So just a natural leader, clearly. I was more so lead by example. And that was... I can't say I was totally vocal one-on-one sessions. I want to say, and I still have great relationships with a lot of my teammates. Some of those um, underclassmen that were there that we weren't getting along with. And, of course, the upperclassmen that I you know, went through the ranks with. Right. But it was just, um, I think, trying to keep them going when a kid is young and still doesn't understand it. And it's not understanding why they're taking being placed in and out of the lineup. It's not working because they're not consistent. It takes time to understand that role and what you're supposed to be doing, because that's the thing in college. It's so much about roles. They teach, yeah. they they talk to you, and I I definitely know that's in the pros and talking to professional athletes. Like you know your role. This is what they need you to do, and if you're not doing it, you're not gonna play. It's just like the NBA. If you're not doing it, you're not gonna get paid. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get cut. 
So it's not like high school. Like, oh shoot, if I have a bad game, off game. Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you just, just keep doing you. Yeah. Just keep throwing up the. The breeze. rules do not apply to Russell Westbrook, <laughs> sir. Not, it's not. Yeah, it's not even talk about that. <laughs> I'm a big time Lakers fan, and that's devastating. Oh, I'm even sorry. though I like Westbrook, and I feel like he's taking the brunt of all of this, and he shouldn't. But yeah, he be out there tripping. Yeah. But you can't go over for eleven. <laughs> you can't go over for eleven, and then when a fan tells you you suck, come yeah. out there like. What? I'm okay. like, Russ, go in the gym. Yeah, because they so, asked him how was how was the game. He was like, oh, I played good, Russ. <laughs> no. So I don't. I, I know you said you're a Lakers fan, uh-huh. so I don't know if you follow the theory now that teams are actually just letting them be open <laughs> so they can shoot because yeah. they're that bad at shooting. Yeah, we don't have any shooters. And yeah. LeBron said it. He said yeah. it the other day. He was like, what do you expect? We're not the best shooting team. But that was a hint. Like, give me some they, shooters. Didn't they get yeah. rid of Kentavious Caldwell-Pope? They did. They, that was the shooter. He was the one we had. And he played defense. He might go two for 40 some nights, but he was the yeah. shooter. Yeah. Yeah. My mom tutored Kentavious when he was in high school around here. My, he was just, like, throwing it back. So when I dad, saw him as a Laker. My dad's <laughs> best friend, that's his nephew. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah he you see where he is now. Both uh, jerseys from his high school. We got yeah. all that stuff yeah. back in Oh, there. I remember my mom was like, I got this potential. They say he's a good possible NBA prospect. He's at the house. I'm tutoring him now. I'm like, Mom, get out of here. I don't know what you're talking about. I see this kid. I'm like, I see the potential. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we we got off track a little bit. Uh-huh. There uh-huh. is no track. We're uh-huh. just going. There ain't no. There ain't no. We're, we're good. We're no, good. We, we got we're good. We, we try to. We're good. We try to. You know, if if she wants to talk about Russell Westbrook, she's good. Russell Westbrook, no, I'm just. Yeah. Um, and I forgot what I was going to say. Now. <laughs> yeah, I know I smoke weed. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you this. Uh-huh. Um, so how got? how do y'all? Because I'm, I'm just fascinated with how the teams work, like the operations of things. Mm-hmm. So would y'all like break up into position groups and study film, or do you study as a team? How what was like? What was a day at like practice like at Georgia Tech or like a like the week? Is it? Oh shoot, I have. Yeah. It is intense. So if you're talking about freshman year, what an adjustment! All your time is gone. They're trying to make sure you don't do nothing during the season socially at all. So that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> So you you know you back then we had six a.m. weights, you had weights we would go for about at least from six to eight, so two hours. Then it was mandatory breakfast because they wanted you to eat. So that's from eight eight thirty. If you had an eight o'clock class, you just grabbing something quick and then heading out of there, and they would let you out early so you could go to class. Um, but then you might have to make up what you missed from the lifting session later that day, and then you might have a film session where it'd be individual film sessions with your um, position coach where they would film our individual workouts. So if it was stuff that they were seeing on film, like, yo, this is what you need to correct. This is what's going to work in our system in this offense. Yeah, they would break it down. And then you would have team film sessions. Oh, wow. Not to mention individual workouts. And then if you wanted to put more time on your own in in the gym, then after that, at night, mandatory study hall. So we had to get 10 hours of study hall a week. So putting that all together and at night, so you like, dang, you go eat dinner at 6 so they're like, y'all ain't yeah. doing shit. No. Yeah, you tired. Your time is tired. From 6 a.m. to... It was, a job. It was yeah, really it work. Really is. Yeah. It was your real life. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't for everybody. Because I really had teammates who were like, well, shoot, something got to give. I guess school. Because I'm going to be out in these streets. And I didn't get how they did it. But still coming to practice. And then the coach I had my senior year, and I didn't answer the question about the WNBA. I'll get to that. Yeah. But um, she came in, and it turned into military style. So because she felt that they needed to recruit to get better talent, because when she came in, she was like, I didn't recruit none of you. 
Oh, I'm about to buy She came in on that. She came from Auburn. Demon time. That's your sister. It was only one player on our team. Yeah. It was only one player on our team that she had recruited when she was an assistant. And she hadn't been a head coach yet. She had always been an assistant, but one of the top recruiters in the country. You know what I'm saying? So she came in with a mindset like, we having 5 a.m. practices? What? That means Ooh. we had to be on a court by 430 because you had to shoot 100 free throws before practice and get it in and then give you a count of what you made. And they kept record of it. And um, then practice from 5 to 8, three hours of practice at 5 in the morning. So I used to say this show was crazy. And this was because they, she said it was better for her for recruiting because she had to go see games at night. So if we had late practices at like 3, 4, which I had my freshman year. That wasn't going to work. So – <laughs> After, you know, those practices and seeing the work, I was like, we'll be going to practice when people be coming home from the club. <laughs> they used to blow me. It'll be it's like doing the walk right. shame. Yeah. Be 3 30, 4 in the morning. Where y'all going? Practice practice. Where y'all coming from? Shoot, Buckhead. And I'm like, what? Y'all oh, lying. Yes, but it's popping. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be like, man, for the teammates, and I had one that was still trying. And she'd be trashy practice. Ooh, but yeah. she'd be ready in the games. And she was, you know, she was great. You know, I'm talking about Nisha Butler. She was great. You know what I'm saying? Like, she was just, once the lights came on, say like AI, you know, she practice. Know to, yeah. talking about practice. Some people can turn it on. Yeah. She could turn it on. Um, so when they would, and I'm curious about this too, like when, when they go to, like when you're live in practice, mm-hmm. how, how was that relationship when you're on the court to when you're trying to install like the game plan, mm-hmm. like, is it like we just stand here and listen and then do different coaches do it differently? Or do you cover that in the film? Like how did you cover it in the like film, especially for uh-huh. opponents? Like we would mainly watch their key offensive defensive sets. So it, you would see schemes of it and may pick up on it, especially for our point. Guard. That's why I was like, it's so tough. Person? Like, did you really? Um, I started in? more so like my junior and senior year because you realize the importance, especially like yeah. taking care of your body, recovery, and the importance of watching film. You know, it's one thing when you're putting it into work, but if you're not watching and seeing what you're doing incorrectly to try and correct it or seeing what the opponent is doing so you could be prepared for it. That's when I understood how key film sessions were. Um, but... It's hard to, to, to look at the film sometimes. Like, it is. Y'all used to, how, yeah. did, who, I know you had like some oh, jokes. used to get roasted. Yeah, you used to get roasted. Ooh, I yeah. bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you're yeah. like, yeah. oh, yeah. that crossover so that, so that's how that film session would be? Is oh, you'll get roasted. You can, you if can, you see okay. it. Yeah, you could chime in. And coaches would say something. Like, we had a coach like, that. Would, you look like shit. And you'd be like, damn, <laughs> I did. Yeah, what was He's I like, doing? Yeah, what was I doing? You know, because sometimes... Because it's a thinking game, too. So it's exhausting. Besides playing and running up and down the court, defending people, but actually having to think about sets. So that was like the repetition, especially with our own sets. We'll be at practice like for an hour running our own sets. So it's like second nature to the point where you're just like, okay, you're in the game. They call it out. You know where you need to be. You know where everybody needs to be because you run it so much. And it's like, damn, why are we running it so much in practice? But when you're in the game, you understand because it's like second nature. You don't even think about it. Mm Mm-hmm. How was um? Cause you played power forward. I played for, and he moved to small, moved, moved to small, small forward in, in college. Yep. How was that like? I think I already had some of it, but it was working on ball handling and mm. as well as shooting. You know, and, and being more consistent with it. And my three point shot, cause I didn't have. And I can't even say when I was at Tech, it ever got consistent, but I got more comfortable in shooting it 
towards my senior year. And then when I'm thinking about for my size and height and what these players I'm playing against are doing, you know, I'm playing against six one point guards. And now, should I call these games, you'll see a six one point guard like it's nothing. Right. You know, you got wings that are six three, six four. You like, what is this? Like a man's game. But these girls are are really skilled. And I think that's just the transformation of the game of how it's grow it's grown and developed over the years, ever since I even played. But um trying to work on my ball because I didn't know potentially if I went to the WNBA I knew I was going to be a point guard I have to handle the ball or they would turn me into it too because I didn't have the height and um, that was something I was really focused on my junior and senior year and trying to become more comfortable let's dig into the to the WNBA stuff Mm because I just I get so fascinated with college with (laughs) everything we've just uncovered this whole thing about the NCAA and how they court you and like at like with the with the letters the love letters trying mm-hmm. to re- I just find the whole thing fascinating mm-hmm. and insane. And um, you played before we played before NIL deals. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah I say that to this day. Mm-hmm. I would have had a little money in my pocket. <laughs> but how when you're leaving Georgia Tech, you know about law school still? Did you what was what was going on? Like oh, I was gonna play. The you goal was the, the WNBA, WNBA. Uh-huh. and my year they went on strike. Because it was a whole thing about salaries, so they didn't. We didn't even know they won't have a season in two thousand four. Yeah, yeah. So that was a disadvantage on me, my senior season because we didn't make it to the tournament and we didn't do as well as I would have hoped. That was an issue too. Offensively, my game was good, but they looking for wins. Who cares if I'm averaging seventeen points a game and whatever it rebounds? But we weren't winning. So, so it really, that matters. It matters. Hmm. You got to win. You got to be seen. Unless I was averaging 25, 30 yeah, a game, okay. now that's okay. a whole nother story. Yeah. But then it's going to translate, well, why aren't y'all winning if you got this player that's so dominant? Mm-hmm. But it, it's so important for the team because you got to get exposure. They want to see how you play in those types of situations and atmospheres. And the one taste I had of it in my junior year, it was incredible. I had a great game. We lost by one point, game-winning shot which was devastating. Right. But I still say to this day, that's one of the best games I've ever played in because it was the crowd, the atmosphere. The game was intense the entire 40 minutes. It was nonstop. And it was just like, man, I want to get back to this. It's like a drug because you like, even if you win or lose, this is the type of atmosphere I want to play in. And um, when that happened, I went to camps. I went to a couple training camps, worked out. and then For teams? For teams. Okay. And um, exposure camps so, you know, scouts could see you. Because they would always have one during the Final Four. And that year, it was in New Orleans. I remember that. So we went down there. My dad came with me. And I had an agent. And then it just didn't work out. I didn't get drafted. Draft day. And I couldn't believe it. And then, potentially, teams wanted to bring me into training camp. So there was there was something real quick. I don't mm-hmm. want to interrupt you, but I'm going to real quick. Plug had written down that he, it was in his notes. Uh-huh. And he said that he lost faith <laughs> in basketball for a little bit. Because he knew how talented you were mm-hmm. and that you didn't get drafted. And he's just like, damn, like, you got to be. Yeah. Like, it, it, I, opened, yeah. it opened my eyes to yeah. the level, the talent level. Because as a man, of course, and, you know, y'all don't really be dunking and all that right. stuff. You'd be like, yeah, whatever. But to see somebody who you know yeah. was damn good at basketball. And I'm, I remember, like, looking on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how the fuck the father didn't get drafted? Right. And that just made me go, wow, them girls is that damn good. And they were kicked. Because of that strike and when they decided to move forward with the season, even people who got drafted in the first round got cut. 
because they weren't keeping, they were keeping a lot of the old heads that were already on roster. Ooh. So it wasn't that many roster spaces or positions. So then, you know, that was devastating because I had teammates, especially on the, I mean, not teammates, but friends on the football side, you know, Kieran Fox, who went to Westlake. Oh, I gotta, went to definitely got to get Fox ass on here. So, <laughs> you know, Fox, he was saying the same thing, and it kind of just, you know, kind of shattered my dreams for a second. Like, I fell out of, out of love with basketball for a minute. So it, it yeah, really it did. took some time. Because you think about, I know how much work I put in, mm-hmm. and I knew that I could compete with these girls because I'm working camps the summer before that are top 10 camps, All-American camps, Adidas, Nike is putting on, and they would have college players as you know counselors and, and work sessions with these kids to talk to them. So I'm getting the notoriety, but then realizing how much your coach has to be connected to. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my coach, she was her first year as a head coach. And she didn't have all of the connections in the WNBA to put me in front of it's these coaches looks. and scouts. Everything right. comes down to politics. It does. Who you know. It does. Because don't get politics. me wrong. It's women who play, just like in, you say in the NBA, it's men who played in the league that you think shouldn't make it or not as talented or as politics that has gotten them there. But then at the same time, when you see the work, and if you playing or if you're on an NBA or a professional roster, you got to have some talent. It's <laughs> something you do good yeah. or well. And I didn't realize that more, I think, until I got a little older. But that was really deflating. Um, but I regrouped. And then I was talking to the AD at Tech, and he was like, you ever thought about going to grad school? And I was like, yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for law school, because I graduated from Tech, and I think I just barely got to a 3.0 when I graduated. Didn't do engineering, did public policy. But my focus wasn't on school. I did just enough well, yeah, you're up at 4 a.m. Right. You did Shoot just enough throws. to have a 3.0. My yeah. just enough was like 2.2. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I just thought, you know, if I was going to take law school seriously, I didn't think I was ready. So grad school was a good point because I thought about maybe I want to be in sports administration one day, even with a law degree. Did you think about coaching? Nah, never Not really? did. Mm-hmm. Even now you had thought about nah, it? Nah, the patience you have to have and the generation <laughs> day these kids... When I see it, yeah. I would say I don't want a lot of them are entitled or the expectations. And it's just stuff that I just recall. I was spoiled and, you know, my parents, they, they did a lot for me. But I always had an understanding of respecting my elders and what people told me to do. You know, if you heard that voice, you were going to go and just do it. I was never that disrespectful kid unless you disrespected me. Um, but it, it's just a different mentality. That I don't want to end up fighting a kid if they say something <laughs> wrong. Because I was a substitute teacher for a minute. I remember oh, yeah. at I Creekside High School Ooh. when I was in between going to grad school. That was like 23. I remember I'm, cha- I'm going to the restroom, going back to my classroom. One of these kids bumped into me. And it was like, you better get out of my way, bitch. And I was like, whoa. See, I was 23 then. So I ain't, it, it kind of was like, what you just say? And then I had to take a step back. I was like, I'm a teacher. <laughs> Let me just go back to my class and just be on my way before I get into a fight with this kid. Um, but I never it. had aspirations of coaching. I would work with kids one-on-one and always mentor and talk to them. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's been awesome or something cool to do. But just being a coach, the turnover in coaching, I got so many friends that do it. It's tough. It's tough because if you lose, they fire you. What? Job security. Yeah. You know, as a lawyer with a lawyer, a law degree, if I get fired, I can always put up a shingle and do my own thing and figure it out. So, yeah. you know. All you got to do is put, uh, what? PLLC, but like there's all, all these people that you talk. Yeah, every, everybody. LLC, yeah. Yeah, PC, all this stuff. Yep, you could just go out there. Yeah. So you were saying earlier you started out, you go to law school, you finished. You, was your first time bar passer? Um, yes, okay. I did pass the bar the first time. Small just did, 
One yeah. of the um, hardest tests that I've ever had to take when I, I think about it. Yeah, that junk was difficult. That was I difficult. So, and so you mentioned earlier you started, um, you kind of got to get your feet wet in the public, the public mm-hmm. pretender. <laughs> what was that like? Whew. Being a public <laughs> defender. How many times? How many times? <laughs> did you ever get somebody sent to jail and, and you was like, oh, I wish I could have <laughs> helped them out? <laughs> nah, it's been times. You know, my whole mentality when I had clients in custody, they would always be my main focus. I need to get them out. Now, sometimes it was stuff I couldn't get them out on, right. like the serious stuff, the murders. Yeah. Um, if it was some sexual assault cases, it's just some stuff you just, the evidence is the evidence. How hard is that? To defend mm-hmm. someone that you know is is guilty. No, well, that's the question you get all the time. It's not for me to judge, and I used to always so keep that just mentality. To, yeah. So do um, you tell the clients, "I don't want to know what happened for real." No, you know. Oh, you yeah, gotta you know. know. That evidence yeah. tells you because yeah. I mean, most of my clients they lie to me. They ain't gonna tell me the true story. They lie to me. Lawyer, I would tell my lawyer and my doctor. <laughs> they gonna know. <laughs> not, <laughs> not until because you. What I used to do, I would build a rapport. So, you know, I would go in like, you tell me what happened. Get your side of the story. All right. Right. Take notes. And then I was like, well, we're going to wait until I get discovery and then we'll come back and talk about it. And then once I got discovery, it was like a Q&A session. Well, tell me why the police think this part. Well, you know, they lying. OK, I get it. They do sometimes. But they say they got DNA or your fingerprints on the doorknob or the window. You know, it's this stuff when you like hit them. bloody knife like, sir, is in your face. You, what? Or they you got some, yeah. the knife yeah. home, man. I it's had one of those. You like, slept he with got it. cut breaking the window <laughs> and his blood drops on the sink. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, man, come on. Well, 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 how they get your blood? They planted it. Don't do that. No. I was just looking at people like this. Right. But it just became a level of respect. Yeah. I've, I was never disrespectful to a client, you know, because, I mean, that's the most inhumane situation you can be in is being in jail or in custody. You already feel like you have nobody's respect. You don't have the jailer's respect in there. You better listen, do what you're supposed to do so you don't get in trouble, don't get put in a hole. So it was always that's what I thought for the most part. I mean, I've had a couple clients that probably couldn't stand me and wanted to go a different route. Not perfect. But for the most part, they all respected me because I always kept it honest. I never lied to them. And at the end of the day, if you want to go to trial, let's go. Shoot, that's trial experience for me. We can ride. I get to go home. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to keep it in perspective. And But, you know, and I used to say this too. It got to a point, especially when you were starting to see a lot of these documentaries come out about the criminal justice system. And, and you know, I'm firsthand seeing the inequities that they ha- that we have in it. And how it's imperfect. Um, but oh, really? It's not perfect? <laughs> what? I thought this was the greatest nation in the world oh and everything's God. perfect. Are you telling me right. something's wrong with the criminal justice right. system in America? So what got me, especially wow. as a young lawyer, when you thought it was rewarding when you saved somebody from jail and you got on probation. And then when you understanding that the probation is just a just trap. Oh, it's a trap. Yeah, it's, it's a trap. Especially Meek Mill's documentary. I think it opened so many people's eyes, which I had already known. Because on that level, I've never dealt with a judge that was that nasty as he got dealt with with his case. You know, with even minor infractions like throwing them in jail. No, especially in Fulton County. I say that's the place you might get like five chances before they really gonna send you to jail unless you do something serious. Probation is so bad that cops even know how bad it is. I mm-hmm. was on probation for like it was a cell phone mm-hmm. talking. I mean, this was years ago, mm-hmm. and was in, a bill? In, in Loganville they put like they. If you get caught talking on your cell phone, you have to do a driving class. They put you on probation. Anyway, I got pulled over for running a stop sign. Dude saw that I was on probation, mm. and he was like, you know, I could, like, really 
fuck you up right. And I was like, please. Yeah, begging. Please, officer. I thought I stopped enough. I'm sorry it wasn't up to your standards, but goddamn, there ain't nobody around. Right. So can you just please have a heart? And I, but like, that's how fucked up it is. It, it can be, especially when you waive your Fifth Amendment right or to search and seizures. Because that's the dumbest shit you could do. Well, it's automatic with probation that people don't understand. So, you know, I was intentional, like, it needed to be in the Senate sheet, like, that. I'm giving my Fifth Amendment waiver for search and seizures while I'm on probation. Because if it's not, it's not a guarantee that they could just search your car. And that's what officers would do. Oh, you on probation? Let me search the car. Yeah. Now they don't found drugs. They don't found a gun. You know, and that's when things escalate. It's also the easiest people to right. plant things on. I'm a big well. believer. I know it'll never stop, but I think traffic stops are a huge just setup. And I think they need to stop it all all the way around. Now, I understand for people with speeding, you know, you're going to have to stop them. Yeah. But when it's just these random traffic stops for a busted tail light. They can stop you. Or they like your tags. You know what I'm saying? And then it's the easiest skate, you know, scapegoat. Mm -hmm. And all they have to say is, oh, I smell marijuana. You do? Oh, okay. Let we got to search the car. And it always sucks when they actually can. (laughs) <laughs> right, don't it? I've been on that end a it's few like, times. It's like burnt marijuana. You yeah, know what I'm saying? I don't have a weed stuff, in a car, man. but one yeah. roach. It, it'll get you. And you know, I've seen that's what used to be so incredibly sad because most of the people who I represented look like me. And I could count on one hand how many like Caucasian clients I had when I was a public defender. Um, but I, I don't say they were treated any differently now. But when you keep seeing people that look like you and being treated the way they're being treated or being placed in a position where it seems like it's no way out, that mm-hmm. becomes overwhelming. So then it was intentional. Like, we ain't pleading to this. I'm going to get this, this, and this. Or we're going to get, shoot, sometimes it may just come into the sense of a misdemeanor time served. But I was dealing with felonies. So, and serious felonies. When you just see a revolving door of aggravated assaults, gun cases, you know, drugs, trafficking, murders. Or seeing young kids, the most devastating was seeing young kids who started with these petty theft crimes and then it kept escalating. Till I cause I used to do first appearance when I was started when I started out in the public defender's office. So, you know, you have a rotation every nine weeks, you'll be back in first appearance picking up cases. And I'll be like, yo, didn't I just see you like twelve weeks ago on the first appearance calendar or something? Yeah, yes, ma'am. You back? Yeah. Now it's armed robbery. And, and those were the hardest cases because it's mandatory minimums. Like a murder I can deal with, and I hate to say it, it kind of just makes you kind of just, you know, I guess having no feelings about anything. But I don't have to deal with a victim. No one's present that I have to confront as an attorney, right? I'm just trying to see if my client really was involved or yeah, did it. they're already mm. dead. Now, they you got family to, members yeah. that you may hear in the background, but right. I don't have to deal with them. Yeah. When you have a victim that can come and speak on their own behalf and say something... That could be that could be devastating. Why you don't leave no witnesses? Right. Yeah. right. So for you as an attorney, you would rather have death than. than I, 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 I won't say that. But I, I just said somebody dead. I just said some of those cases. Even though no, because those are some of the hardest cases to try the emotions and the time. Because you're looking okay. at a mandatory life sentence, and you know I was talking to. Um, he's a defense attorney now, but he used to be a prosecutor in Fulton County, and we were talking the other day. And he was like, when I was a prosecutor 
And I had murders, especially these gang cases, because that's what's been overwhelming in Atlanta right now. Where are they come? What gang is? It's who, so what many. is happening? It's, it's so many. You cool know? in the game. Oh, we got. Oh, we gonna talk about Young Thug in the game. Oh, that's, that's right. what I'm saying. Ooh, let's not talk so, about him. So that's a that's a lot going on. But he was head of the gang unit, and he said, when certain cases, you know, you looking at thirty at the door on a murder. Even if you plead guilty to a murder, you looking at thirty. Because you're not eligible for parole until after you serve 30 years. So as a defense attorney, when he's seeing different facts, like if it's a total accident, like I didn't intend to kill this person, but sometimes stuff happens. But how you may be charged with murder, if the facts aren't painted, prosecutors can still convict you on murder and you're looking at 30. Where maybe it should be some, you know, modifications or some reform with sentencing, like we always say. Like maybe a mandatory minimum should be 14, 12 or 14 even if it's on a murder, that you might be eligible. Now, just because you're eligible for parole doesn't mean you're going to get parole. But then you don't have 30 years of free labor to, <laughs> right. To, right. to produce goods right. and services right. for other no. countries. Because no. right. every, every case isn't and the same. Tires. And that used to be the hardest for my clients to get. Mm. Like, they'd be like, man, I just heard you got this guy this. You got this case dismissed. Well, that, that, guy. That, you, that guy. You have to understand that, sir, you are put yourself in a position where you are now easy pickings to be free labor mm-hmm. sir yeah but this this especially this generation they don't care or they don't understand there's no coming back like i would say all the time when i used to represent people like the old heads they got it you know they just lifetime criminals that's just what they know mm-hmm. but at the same time they were straight shooters so you knew it was up even if it was for a murder like i think sometimes they would just push me to see what i could find out or if i was working for them and then when i came back and they saw i was on my you know p's and q's Oh yeah, then we could have a real conversation. I could respect that client because he's wants to, he's trying to see what the work I'm gonna do for him before Makes he sense. can be open and honest with me about you what really happened. You know, but these young kids they get up on a murder or a gang case that's related to a murder they're involved in. They don't get it. Why am I not getting out? Why am I not getting a bond? Yeah, you're charged with murder. You're not getting a bond unless you get an acquittal. Or if somebody comes in and says, he didn't do it. It was somebody else. The only way you're walking out of here. And the odds of that. Yeah, and they don't get it. Um, so that's kind of, that was becoming difficult. It's got to be sad. It, yeah. And it's sad to see. Yeah. So it was time for a transition. Even though I love helping clients, that was what it was all about. Because it definitely wasn't about the money. Um, but it was just about helping people. And I've always been intentional about that, trying and to give back. So what are you doing now? Yeah, what you <laughs> I'm doing insurance defense now. So insurance? <laughs> man, I didn't know. I She's really, working for the man. I'm working for the man. Yeah, Look at her. You were working for the people. <laughs> now you was you was the that, female John yeah, Ford. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. Well, actually, you know, John Ford's oh. clients will come to us when they got a lawsuit pending. Oh. So we're defending it. Um, but it's a um, it's a learning experience. I've been learning a lot, and I think just really trying to make myself marketable, more well rounded. I, I didn't want to do criminal forever. I don't know how long I'll be in this realm either. But that's been my whole focus is to try and, you know, market myself and learn as much as I can. So you you have – I've known you for like an hour and a half, and I've known that in high school you had your entire life together and had a vision. <laughs> Unlike the guys so, um, you, and here. Here. So, I'll be real. I had a, My godfather's an attorney. I was winging it. And when I was 13, I thought it was cool because he was an attorney, had a nice house, had, you know, nice cars. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to do what he does when I grow up. Seems like a good job to have. So that was that was the start of it until I really understood the importance of being an attorney when I got older. 
Because you're you're doing sports broadcasting now. You're doing it. I don't know if that's allowed to be out there. I don't know how. No, you, it how is. That, okay. It's out there. And and you're working for a law firm. Do, what what is your vision now? Like, what do you do? You, are, <laughs> you gonna, you know are you going to be a partner? Or are you gonna you gonna have your own we, firm? We're gonna see what the you going track to ESPN. Or if it is. You what? know, that's the hope. One day, maybe I can get on ESPN. Um, hopefully, I'm on the radar. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I've been just doing, because I started back in doing broadcasting. It was something I wanted to do coming out. So my first year out of tech, I did radio for the tech women's team with um, Richard Monster. He's still there in Call of Women's Games. And I would just do color, but I was still 23. And I was catching up from being in college. I'm prom- I didn't go to law school until I was 26, so I went part-time. So you had so three period, years of, of Where your, I made up for what I didn't get to do. Right. Yeah. Right. You <laughs> so I was all in the city making up for lost yeah. time, and I wasn't serious <laughs> yeah. about a Wild. job, nothing. I was just yeah. like, I pursued basketball a little bit longer. I had some opportunities overseas, and just that was one of my regrets. I didn't take advantage of those opportunities because I was just like, they wanted to ship me to Israel. I was like, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot going on over there at the time. <laughs> My parents weren't really feeling too it. too much over there. Right. So ride a I just kind of jumped off that ship of basketball. Did another, I had another attempt at 23, 24. Went to some camps. And then after that, and it didn't happen, I was just like, yeah, it's time to hang this one up and move on to the next chapter, which I knew was law school eventually. So that's did, that was what I did. Did you like immediately put that in a box and just move on and like you just you it's like crazy because it? I did yeah really and I you seem it's, like it's that never so they can do that and yep. I know a lot of my friends it's very difficult and when I think about it if I had had an extended basketball career I don't know how long it would have taken me to get on track with law mm-hmm. because it would have postponed that move and now seeing in a position where I am now and it's taken me. Sh- sh- 15 years to get here it, it, it's been work in progress and I have friends who still are struggling and trying to find their niche after playing professionally for some mm, time because it's hard mm. it's hard especially when you've been in a team atmosphere where you've been paid tons of money they pay you all this money and then it's over and now what are you going to do with it and if you didn't invest it save it or make the right decisions with it you at a loss to figure out your next move. You got Chris Stapp taste with a bit budget. That is not fun. That is no fun. Yeah, Files, you had your whole life. I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't even know what I'm doing after 6 o'clock. And I today. say I'm still trying to figure it out, too. With the broadcasting, I got back into it eight years ago. Went back doing radio because I had friends who I played against or played with. And I see they were starting to blow up. And I'm like, I can talk about basketball. And I know it. And I'm like, why not? And then opportunities just presented itself. Georgia Tech has always been great to me. Um, you know, anytime, whether it's new ADs, new coaches, the current coach, Nell Fortner, she's awesome. So in that transition of just being able to keep the position of calling women's games, and then it turned to digital TV with ACC Network when they started up. Um, I've worked with SEC Network. Shoot. Um, and the transition of Raycom Sports just started last season where I was getting more games. So it's work in progress. I started a podcast, taught that talk with Fallon Stokes because I didn't know if I was going to get games when the pandemic started. Mm. So I was like, I need to get some footage to still show I'm being active, right. to put on my reel, to see this different aspect for a podcast or maybe hosting some radio show. Who knows? So I started it with one of them, the guy, this guy played and coached at Georgia Tech, Daryl LaBerry. I remember Daryl. And we were co-hosts, but then his schedule was getting too crazy and he couldn't be consistent. So then I just went out, kept it going myself. It was so much going on between social justice issues, sports, 
it was so many topics. It was like I well, never ran out of material. So what, so I know you guys got a sports like that's mm-hmm. the brain. Well, we were talking thing. about everything. So I didn't want to just limit it to sports because it's a lot of sports. I mean, podcasts out here that I listen to and I think are interesting, but I still wanted to set myself apart in just trying to be more well-rounded and just talking about current events or what's going on. So somebody can relate to it. And then when I started it on myself, it was about, I get it, booking guests, trying to get on their schedule. Um, I haven't gotten the main setup like you guys have this great setup. All of mine has been virtual still with just that platform because I thought it was just easier. Like if I got somebody across the country, I can get them on, you know, like that remotely. And then we can just make it happen. But I've had some great interviews, some great podcast episodes, um, attorneys talking about social justice, activists, um, some great former uh, professional athletes. Um, I just recently had Shamiqua Holesclaw, and I was just saying, like, yeah, she, she was, was my idol. She was that go-to at Tennessee. Yeah, she was a Won three national championships when she was playing with Pat Summit, and she was, like, the mecca. You were like, man, she's showing us how we can do it. So that was just crazy when I met her a few months ago. And I was like, you know, you were, like, one of my childhood idols, and you really paved the way. She's like, I appreciate that. So she jumped on the podcast. I was like, yo, that's a gem. So that's been just, I think, so rewarding. And just the conversations I'm able to have and the people I'm able to meet with doing the podcast or people being so welcoming to jump on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that speaks volumes. But it's been cool. And I love the basketball gig, broadcasting. If they want to pay me some good money to come to ESPN, I would strongly <laughs> consider it. Fox Sports too. Anybody. But, um, you know, it's just a grind. And I'm realizing the older you get, I'm competing with a lot of young women who are very talented, you know, and... It's that's another jug hurdle, you but know, you trying to like experience, right? Beat that. Well, and it's like now too, now that there's been a movement to have a bigger female presence, mm-hmm. it's like, well, now like women like George, Joy Taylor mm-hmm. is, are able to put, and Joy Taylor is a, a badass. She's like, great. Like she's fun to listen to. She knows her shit, and she don't like fuck around. Right. And it's like that's right. what you want to, you know. So yeah. it's like it's gonna get harder because these people are gonna, you know, they. They put their stamp on it, and Joy Taylor isn't giving up her spot. No, no, and, time and she's and she's one of my yeah. faves. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And just saying like another one, L. Duncan, and she's been yeah, like a that. great mentor <clears throat> to me too, and just trying to help me navigate through this realm. Um, and when you look at people like Maria Taylor, it's been intentional of trying to get more women of color on TV. So that's why I think right now it's just been a great opportunity to try and dive in and just see what you can figure out on the way in, you know, and I think... Well, just please, networking. I hope y'all keep going just to get Skip and Michael A. Let me tell you something, Skip. Like, let, yeah, let's, like, just... I'm you know, just I love... So I watch Skip and Shannon every day. I love Shannon, day. Yeah. I love Shannon man. Yeah. Come I love, on now, Skip. <laughs> skip. Come skip, on skip, now. Skip, Skip, Skip. You don't need to leave that, Skip. Come on now. Oh, man, no. Um, I think you need people like Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Not together. I'm glad Skip (laughs) and Stephen A. split because I used to I used to watch first take and then it got to a point where so they're the same. They like both antagonists. They are. So it just didn't work, and they both have dominant, strong personalities. Where I think it's a great balance now that you have him going against Shannon Sharp, a Hall well, of Famer. When Skip's talking, yeah. I'm just admiring Shannon's suits. I'm suits. Like, Damn, <laughs> the chain. So nice. Skip, yeah, every episode, man. Skip, I have on some J's. He stays in some J's. Yeah. His favorite player all time is Jordan. His favorite rapper is Lil Wayne. So he got his Lil Wayne chain. And he always represented. 
<laughs> we got we got a comedian on the scene that reminds me of Skip Bayless. For real? <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Joe, Joe, Yo, Joe Smith. Smith. Uh, but uh, so we always, I know we fin- we're going to wrap up, but I got a question. Mm-hmm. When you hear the debate, women should make more playing basketball, what do you think? Oof. Yeah. Now, what I'm seeing with these NIL deals it may not come in the form of a basketball salary, but it's potential out there. Gotcha. And it's the how you navigate through it. But until you get the sponsorships, and I, we women's game, we still don't get the sponsorships the men's game gets. So that money's never going to come. Did they really debate lowering the, the goals once? I think they did to make <laughs> it more entertaining. <laughs> but, I mean, it's women dunking. Like, I know young girls well, who, shorter than me, they were dunking in college. And they, may, they may not have been dunking in the games, but you would see warm-ups, you'd be like, dang. You know, they, it's there. Well, but. I asked you at the beginning who you modeled your game after, mm-hmm. and you you named men. Mm-hmm. You didn't you didn't immediately name. That is true. So it's like well, I was I was expecting Cheryl Swoops. No, nah, you know. I even know I love Cheryl so, Swoops, but I'll be honest. I didn't watch the women's game because it wasn't on TV a lot That's until right. you saw That's like true. the 96 yeah. Olympic team and you seeing Cheryl Swoops, Teresa Edwards, we knew from Georgia. I mean, right. for, she's been it's incredible. Like ESPN 5 at 4 yeah. 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 You didn't see it. And, and when I started loving basketball, I was watching Jordan was watching the guys. play against the Lakers in the yeah. finals for the first time and winning the championship in 91. So that's what just always resonated with me. And then mm-hmm. until we got the WNBA in 96... You would see more of it. But besides Shamiqua Holesclaw, now I say that's one that I idolized because it was when I was getting into women's basketball and watching it and seeing her being so dominant, you know, with that squad. They were amazing. Um, when you think about she, she said it in my podcast, like the three Meeks and, you know, um, Tamika Ketchins, another one who was mm-hmm. incredible. I think know? when I was in high school, it was Tarasi. Was, she I was, played against. We're the same year. Y'all the same? Okay. So I played yeah. against Tarasi in AAU. <laughs> she wore a 13 shoe when we were kids. You know, <laughs> she, I just remember seeing her foot. And I'm yeah. like, oh, man, big what foot. is this? Because oh, she was a legit six, five eleven, six feet. Yeah. I think she got to six feet, six one. But I, I was just like, yo, your foot is huge. I mean, <laughs> don't step on mine. And then playing against, I played against Cheryl Ford, Carl Malone's daughter. She had a big foot too, like a 15, I bet 16. She did. So you would just realize that when you were here, like some of the talent you would see, Tarasi was incredible. Now she's older now. I mean, she has the championship, she has the pedigree, she has, you know, really th- everything she needs on her resume. But sometimes I think we play a little too long. You know, like Sue Bird, she's finally, she's like, I'm wrapping it up, it's done. Her yeah. career is stellar. She's a Hall of Famer. But that was the thing that I saw when I'm taking it back to when I was coming in. Like, it's time for the young kids. You got to transition at some point. Give them a chance. Because you're taking up roster spots with all these old heads who want to continue to play. But those names still carry weight in the league Absolutely. for people to watch. So it's a need. But yeah. NIL deals, I think that's the key for women to supplement. Because I'm I'm going, when I'm broadcasting for these games, whether I'm going to UNC, Duke, these kids are getting like NIL deals on the women's side. Where they can be making 20, 30 grand a month just from post. Four post a month. They getting paid, and they ain't even got to send their feet. They like it, it's <laughs> real, like it's fucking. It's one girl for UNC right now, Deja Kelly, and she's a an attractive girl, and she's a really good basketball player. She's their starting point guard, and she's a junior this year. So I saw her really progress as a sophomore last year, 
and she's making bank at NIL deals. There's she's enough everywhere. money at colleges. I mean, yeah. how, much, how much is Saban making? Like 20, <laughs> 20 mil a year talking about players shouldn't get paid. Yeah, that was just ridiculous. Get out of here, Nick, with your five yachts. Because he knows Alabama can't pay. They can't compete yeah. with Texas and that oil money. Yeah. Where they can just like, hey, we got it. What you? What do you need? Texas A&M showed you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what, what do you need to get you here? So I think at some point they're going to have to regulate well, yeah, it's out of control it's right now. It's out of now control. And coaches, I know, hate it. And now they want to get out of it and go to the pros because these kids, they claim. Because it's kind of turning into that. There has it's to be a period where you can't leave that portal and have, like, if kids. Oh, well, the now transfer like, portal is the same. If kids get mad at you, they can all just yeah. leave. But I can say right now, yeah. it's been even more evident because of COVID. And they get yeah. an extra year. Yeah. yeah. And that's... see, that's what I was saying with stats when I was seeing a lot of these kids. I'm like. Hold on. You had six years in college and you got to transfer to another school. They got to do something with these stats because it's not adding up. It's how you go surpass me. You know what I'm saying? But then I was realizing it was a cutoff at a point where I don't think certain stats would count, especially if you use that six year. But even when I was calling tech games, I'd be like, man, it seemed like you've been here forever. You know, you're still here. (laughs) And they were taking advantage. And I thought about it. If I was in college, I probably would have too. Because, you know, thinking back on how my senior year went, and, you know, I didn't get the opportunities I wanted in the WNBA. If I had an opportunity to go transfer to an elite school, get another year in, why not? And then get my, my chances to being becoming a prospect, make it even higher? Yeah, yeah. Go to a program where I know I'm going to win and go to the NCAA tournament and compete. That's what I would have looked for. So the opportunities are there. But the reason that we're seeing is this transfer portal has been insane. Because if you were in college during the pandemic, you automatically get an extra year. Another year. Mm-hmm. All right, to uh, got one final one. Last question. All right. What's your most proudest moment of your, not even your collegiate athletic career of life? What are you most proud of to this moment right now? Um, graduating from law school. Yeah. And You're not then, passing the bar the first time? That's, well, that's no, big. no, no, no. Ta- yeah, but <laughs> I think graduating because I'm not really an emotional emotional person. But I just remember getting all misty-eyed and teary-eyed. I mean, when I graduated from Tech, I was just like, give me out of here and give me that degree. Y'all can fail it. This graduation <laughs> taking forever. Um, but law school, because I just think it was just the, the blood, sweat, and tears, working, going part-time at night. Where did you go? I went to John Marshall. Okay. So I only applied to like two schools, Georgia State and John Marshall, and the part-time program. Because I knew I wanted to work. I needed to work. But... um. Yeah, just getting that experience because I just know it's so hard. And bar results just came out this past weekend, and I know kids. You know that's the most anxious you're gonna be. Like, I was seeing people post on Facebook. Yeah, because yeah. if you if you have to retake that test, it is. Whew, tough. How long is the the process? Like you take it, and then what you gotta wait? What six weeks, two weeks? Um, ooh, no. And they always oh, excuse me. <clears throat> they always release results on holidays. I used to hate that. Or <laughs> it switched. <laughs> That's so, so when I when I took it, it was Halloween it's weekend. Ruin your Christmas. <laughs> Halloween weekend and Memorial Day weekend. So it wasn't like that holiday, but it was holidays where you might turn up, you know, and you either you're gonna turn up one way because you're happy or you're gonna turn, you turn up because you're sad, right? <laughs> um, but now like results just came out the week before Halloween and just being anxious, you're gonna wait. So July and February, I took a February bar in 2013 and I didn't get my results Memorial Day weekend. Wow. Yeah, that's a so you're waiting. Way. The whole yeah. time I, I decided to sign up with a trainer again, start working out. Because you were in limbo. 
And I didn't. I wasn't working at the time. I That's was just teaching part time. Place to be is limbo. It is because you don't know. Yeah. And you know, I didn't because of the law school I went to. It wasn't like I had corporate offices knocking on my door. You know, it was more so about the experience. And I worked for a great attorney, um, Manny Aurora, while I was in law school. And in my last year, I decided not to work for him. Um, he did criminal defense. He represented Gucci Man, I think, if y'all don't remember the um, house shooting with Gucci. But of course. He was one of the attorneys on that Gucci Man case. And then Pac-Man Jones, on, you know, he represented him when he had the whole debacle with the Vegas shooting mm-hmm. and some other stuff. So he represented a football player who played for Tech when he got into some trouble. And when I was looking to work for lawyers, they were like, call Manny. He graduated from Tech. And he probably looking for somebody. And he was trying to transition to be a sports agent. That's originally why I went to law school. I wanted to be a sports agent. Ain't too late. Yeah, it's not too late, especially with these NIL deals. So we're going to see. But um, I learned a lot from him and the exposure he gave me just from both sides of it. But it, it made me realize at the time I didn't want to be an agent because it was like babysitting and these kids. It's like being a music manager. They do. And they want you to give them so much money coming out. I'm like, why do you want me to pay you to work for you? That doesn't make <laughs> sense to me. I guess but, they're saying you got to invest in me. You know what I'm saying? Me. But it's like, I'm going to ask for the money back on the back end if you make it because I'm paying out of my pocket. Um, but it was just the understanding and the babysitting that I hand holding. Now, if I was getting athletes later in their career when they understand it and have more have a, more have more uh, have more of a business mindset, then that's great. You need like Vince Carter to start. Yeah. yeah. You know what we, I'm saying? We found a theme with Fallon. What, what, what we got? She don't like fucking with them young folk. <laughs> <laughs> Every every episode, I love to mentor. I love to mentor the kids, but no, on a twenty four seven basis, and I was want you to no. have your shit together. Have it together. Come, Be serious. Yes. Come together. correct. Yep. Fallon, you definitely do, and we appreciate you so much. But we know you you got to get yeah, going. Yeah, we got to roll. So we're gonna hit the stop button. No, oh, this is awesome. I we appreciate, appreciate you coming. Uh, this has been another episode of the Trophy Case Podcast. Y'all take it <laughs> With the lovely Fallon Stokes. Yep. And uh, don't be out there committing insurance fraud. She's going to get your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and make sure you listen to her broadcast. We'll put all that stuff out there where people yeah, can find we'll you. Put all, yeah. We're going to make sure people know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, talk so, that talk with Fallon Stokes. Yeah. <laughs>